though. Praise the Lord. Uh, any of you guys, you guys all get those spam emails, man? No fun. Um, just a couple things. One, I just wanted to, I wanted to remind us about the Connect cards that we fill out. Um, we're doing, uh, for the month of July, what I, what I want us to emphasize is if, if you're a guest uh, or recently uh, to our church and, uh, and you fill out that card, not only can you get a gift at the Welcome Center, but also every one of those Connect cards that come in um, during the month of July, we're going to do, we're going to put $5 towards, uh, what did I, what did I, I butchered it last week, but uh, we're going we're gonna to get two chickens and, uh, and we're going to send them to, to India. And so um, there's, I think it takes $25 to get two chickens, and then that becomes something that they can, like a renewable uh, uh, resource for them, and, and it would be super cool. So it only takes 25 So five, every five Connect cards, we're going to send two chickens to India. And um, so if you're a guest, that's just one other way. The, the heart behind that is we just we want to be able to connect with you, pray with you, um, get to know you guys. And so um, if you'd like to do that, you can. And I also just want to share my heart about that going deeper service next Sunday evening. Um, I, I'm always looking for places um, that we can just kind of uh, have like an oasis, receive from the Lord. Um, I, I know Sunday mornings can be that, but sometimes we need to have, in addition to a Sunday morning, a time of just saying, okay, God, without any agenda, um, just come and do what you want. Uh, and so my friends, uh, 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 Mitch Stroda and Drew Weir are going to come. And Mitch Stroda has been here uh, many times. Some of you probably know him. He functions really prophetically. And so um, come ready to even receive from the Lord through the, through the prophetic. Um, and then Drew's never been here in that capacity that I, that I know of to lead worship. But we're going we're to give uh, Pastor Kelly and Anna a, a break from leading and let Drew Weir lead and let them receive. And, and just kind of, uh, we've, we always have uh, other voices come in as far as teaching from the pulpit, but it's been a while since we've had another voice come in as far as leading worship. So um, we'd, we'd love to have you guys come and, and be part of that next, next Sunday night. Um, and, then, um, and then I just had like a freebie thought uh, before I get into my message. I was just uh, sitting here and the thought of, of Jesus being our Prince of Peace just came to my heart um, this morning. And, I, and immediately there was a verse, I think it's in Romans, that just says that uh, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under, under our feet, under your feet. And I just had this thought that sometimes peace, uh, in order to get peace, there's, there's violence that has to come first before peace to, to be there. And, I, and that verse was interesting. That it's the God of peace. He'll crush Satan, but how does he do it? Under your feet, under my feet. And, and that, it was just an interesting thing. He's the prince of peace. So part of like his royal identity is I, I am part of my job description, if I were to say that from Jesus' perspective, is he is he's peace. He, he delivers peace. And sometimes the way he delivers it is he actually crushes Satan under your feet. And so whatever you're going through that might even be spiritual um, is some of those things that, um, that maybe you're, you're feeling that, that pressure this week or, or this month. Maybe it's been a, a year. Maybe it's been multiple years. Um, can I just release this over you right now? Lord Jesus, we come into agreement with part of your job description that you are the Prince of Peace. And Lord, that place in your word where you say that you will actually crush the enemy under our feet, we come into agreement with that, that that's part of our identity, part of our role. Lord, show us how to, um, to do that under our feet in your power. And it's because of Jesus we pray.
Amen. 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 We're in a series in 1 Corinthians, um, and it's, uh, I mean, it's been, it's been a while. So if, you, if, if it's been a few weeks since you've been here, we're still in 1 Corinthians. If you've been here every week, we're still in 1 Corinthians. And we'll probably be in 1 Corinthians, oh, until Jesus comes back, I imagine. So no, I, I, think, uh, I think probably another uh, um, seven or eight weeks um, I'm looking at uh, that we'll probably be in this and wrap it up. And, um, and as, I, as I read through the book, I, I, I come to certain sections in 1 Corinthians, and I, and I start to think, you know what, it's been kind of a long series. I could probably skip this section, you know. Um, like the one this morning that we're going to talk about would have been a, just a great one to skip. <laughs> and, uh, and, I, and I just kind of had that tap, let's not, let's not skip it. So, uh, so we're, we're going to head into it. But um, I wrestled with this. Not because I don't understand it well, but because um, the topic that we're going to hit, Paul's really not, the majority of what we're going to talk about this morning, Paul wasn't even really talking about. And, uh, um, but because of our culture and the way we lens things, I have to talk about this um, in order to, to really help um, uh, bring context to what he was actually saying. I want to, so I'm going to talk about what he wasn't saying, and then I'm going to talk about um, what he is saying, and then come back to, to what he wasn't saying. And anybody confused yet? <laughs> let's let's pray. Pray for me. Everyone, just reach a, at a hand. No, Lord, we just ask that your word would uh, come alive, Lord. That anything that's uh, uh, just of me or opinion, that it would just kind of uh, fall by the wayside. And Lord, anything that's from you, that it would go deep. Um, and Lord, we just uh, we just invite you to share this morning. It's because of Jesus we pray. Amen. First Corinthians chapter eleven. We're going to be in really in verse two through sixteen. Um, I just entitled it "Take Your Places," and I, I believe there is a call as we're as we kind of in this overarching theme of wanting to be a church a church that's about revival. There's some other things that we that we have to kind of um, have in place first, and part of that is you and I like taking our rightful place. We're not just um, uh, consumers in the kingdom of God. Anybody like fast food restaurants, right? Uh, anybody, uh, no one's going to admit it this morning. Anybody like, uh, uh, thank you, thank you. We got two, we got two. Anybody a third, right? And uh, part of why we like fast food is because it's fast. Anybody get angry almost when it doesn't come um, fast enough? Uh, there was this, there was this fast food restaurant in, um, well, it was, I think it's more West Coast. I don't know if you guys ever heard of Jack in the Box. And it was notorious, at least when I was growing up, for like, like, hey, I thought you were a fast food restaurant. Like, we were in line for like eight hours almost, it seemed like. It was probably five minutes. I'm like, I mean, this needs to, this needs to be quick. This needs to be quick. But there is this mentality, uh, there's a consumer mentality oftentimes in the kingdom of God, which means that it's about, it's about me, it's about my needs, it's about my preferences, right? Um, and, uh, and then there's a producer, uh, mentality that's like I get to show up and be part of this. I get what am, what am I producing? Now uh, we're gonna we're gonna all con- be consumers at some level, and we're all gonna hopefully the challenge is be producers at some level. But uh, but that's this thing. So we so as we're as we're heading into this, are you a consumer or, or are you pro- what are you what are you producing? And so this this title, take your places. It's it's a, it's a challenge for all of us to like, Lord, what's my place in the body of Christ? What's my place in the kingdom? Um, because if I don't show up, something's missing. Like there, there's a reason why I was born to live at this time in history. 
right? There's a reason why you were born to live at this time in history. And if you don't show up powerfully uh, the, in the, the best version that God has called you to be, like something's missing um, and you are absolutely needed. Um, and when we look at the bigger picture of worldwide revival, like you're part of that. You're needed. You are absolutely needed um, in this time. So take your places. And as we, uh, as we hit, in, hit in this, we're going to, uh, well, let me just, uh, let me just start. Uh, one, I want, you to, I want you to know as we head into First uh, Corinthians 11, Paul's addressing something. Um, as we looked at chapter 8 and chapter 9, um, Pastor Bo hit those beautifully. And then I came back and, and did some, uh, talked in chapter 10. The part I didn't talk about in chapter 10 um, was uh, right at the end of chapter 10, there was a theme that had been kind of continued from chapter 8 and chapter 9. And it was this idea that, that everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Have you ever heard that verse before? So there are, there are things that, that I'm allowed to do that aren't sin, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's beneficial. Uh, it was also this theme of, of you know, the, the freedom I have in Christ. Um, I could be totally free before God to do something, um, but you might not. And if I do that and not thinking of you, um, it could actually cause you to stumble. It could cause offense. It could cause a few. And so Paul's saying, hey, if you do this knowingly, like this is just my right. I'm free to do this. And I just kind of do that not thinking of you. He's like, that's actually sin. And so there was this whole thing in there in those three chapters that's really kind of directing us as the body to look out for each other. That I may be completely free before God to do something, but I also have to look out for you. And it's not just about me. And sometimes we could get almost in this really rebellious thing where I can do whatever I want. And Paul's saying, well, everything's permissible, but not everything is beneficial. And we take that theme into now chapter 11. And as we hit chapter 11 and really the next few chapters, there's this idea of, of what, um, what, what God's wanting to do in the corporate worship setting. Um, and so we're kind of turning that corner into like when we come in here and all of this. And so he, he hits a few things, but it's right after that whole thought of, hey, let's think about each other. In my, own, in my own time at home as I'm worshiping, um, I'm not thinking about you. I'm just thinking about, about the Lord. But when I come in here now, I, at some level I have to realize that, you know, if I decide to, um, you know, that I'm free to worship in my Speedo, right, that's, uh, that's probably going to cause some, some distraction, you know. Someone, even though, hey, you should just worship, right? You should just worship, Tammy. Don't even worry about me. I'm going to guess, that that's, that that's a distraction. So there's these things that Paul's trying to, to say, hey, guys, when we come together, um, we, need to, we need to be uh, thinking of these things. So the, the second thing that Paul addresses here in this chapter um, really has to do with authority. Everyone say, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Authority. How many just love authority? Right? <laughs> we, got, we got one chuckle right here. I don't know if that was like, yes, chuckle, or if that's like, oh, my gosh, chuckle. But he, he addresses authority. How many know that authority is a biblical topic? Absolutely a biblical topic. How many know that it also gets way out of bounds and out of balance and, the, and that people um, abuse authority and all of this? Right? And so what's happened um, in our society, probably different societies, is there's this pendulum where over here, this is what the Bible says. Now we have a bad experience, and I don't, I don't want any authority in my life. And so Paul starts to address some of this of godly authority that it is first sourced in, in God. Um, but at, at some level, we are all supposed to come under 
authority, uh, spiritual authority. Um, but then the Bible talks about all kinds of places of authority, whether it be the workplace or whatever, where God, or police officers and all of this, where God says, um, I have actually placed authorities in your life. And so it is, it is a spiritual, uh, it's, a, it's actually a spiritual transaction for me to um, uh, go the speed limit. <laughs> You know, and for me to obey the law, because actually God put that authority um, in, my, in my life. Uh, and the, the times where we, where we don't, uh, where it's biblical to not obey authority is when, it, is when there's an authority that, that's saying, hey, I, I'd like you to actually do something that's contrary to Bible, contrary to the overarching authority, which would be God. So we see these two principles, those first two things, that's actually what Paul is talking about here in this chapter. But the thing that he's really not talking about is when we read it, we're like, oh my goodness, and we get this backlash. That's what we're going to have to talk about for a few minutes. Um, because now Paul makes some seemingly restrictive comments about women. And now the man stands up here at the pulpit to talk about, about the restrictive verses about women. Can I, can I just say, please, if you ha- would you pray and fast for me over these next few, few minutes? And uh, whoo! A couple years ago, I, um, I did a message on this, and so that really helps. Uh, but um, I'll tell you, can I just say that the Lord just really loves women and men, but he just really loves women. And he actually, when you read through the Bible, he, uh, his heart is to empower women. Um, and, and so there are, there's, oh, about three, like, really seemingly restrictive verses or passages in the Bible about women but there is a whole vast amount of empowering verses or passages or stories about women in the Bible. And so you have to wrestle with some paradoxes. When the Bible is um, clear on one way throughout all of Scripture that this is how it is about something, then you can say, well, the Bible says. But when there's a paradox, in other words, there's two seemingly contradictory ideas, you, you have to dig a little bit deeper. And you have to understand, well, what's he, what was he trying to, to say? What was, what was he what was trying to, to come across? And so I, I want to hit that for a little bit. Um, but let's, um, oh, I want to say something else. We are in um, an interesting day and age. Um, when you, when you watch the news, I don't know who else on social media or how you get your news through news articles or whatever, but there's a, there's a lot going on. Um, a lot of you are probably familiar um, over the last uh, year or two, um, the Me Too movement, hashtag Me Too. Um, really, the, if you're not familiar, um, it, it's really this, this whole movement where women are finally getting courage to talk about um, painful things that have happened in their life that they felt like for one reason or another they had to um, suppress. They had to just say this didn't, uh, either it didn't happen or they just had to kind of uh, pretend it didn't happen, ignore it. And then then men got away with um, doing horrible, horrible things um, for a long time. And for, for one reason or another, Courage has started to rise up in the hearts of some women. Now, I, I believe that a lot of what's going on in the Me Too movement is even from the Lord. Um, I, I don't know that uh, I don't know that everything is, or that every person um, is is uh, being used by God. And, and there's all kinds of breaks the rule scenarios. But there's an idea of the Lord um, uncovering and exposing 
things that should absolutely be exposed. There's another movement that started um, uh, in social media called hashtag um, um, church to. And the, the truth is, is there's been some hurt and pain within um, church walls too. Where, um, where ministers have abused their authority and really, uh, and women often, um, some men too, but women often are the ones that are the victims of um, spiritual abuse, even oftentimes verbal and sexual abuse within, within the kingdom of God. And, and again, it was some of these things that were like, let's, uh, let's, let's put that under, under the rug. Let's like not talk about it. Let's like close that thing off. So I don't know what you believe or think about either of these movements. But what I just want you to know is that we're not a church that's going to that's gonna ever um, like uh, hide something that's been done that's wrong. Um, we're going to deal with it in a, in a godly way if, ever, if something ever came, came up. We're going we're gonna to deal with it as privately as possible, just be with the, the parties that be. But I want you to know it's safe, that if you ever felt like, man, something happened to me that was wrong and I need to talk about it, um, you can come to me, one of our elders. You could come to one of our pastors and, and feel like we're going to actually hear you and not say, well, you know, can I, is that okay for me to say? I want you to just know that. And if, even if you're a man that has felt like that, a lot of times it happens to be women. And um, I think that there's been something that's happened over, over time. Um, we, I, I talk about the culture of our society, but the, over time that has made uh, often women to feel less than, women to feel disempowered. Um, it, it could sometimes knowingly by men, sometimes unknowingly. Uh, uh, how many know, like in the topic of racism, that there's some things that, that if you're, if you're um, a white person in America, there's some things we just don't understand about the topic of racism. Would you agree? Because you're not um, a minority. And so uh, there's, there's things where, where it might, in fact, I sat down with some of my um, black or African-American um, friends and pastors at one point, and I just said, hey, uh, um, so tell me this, because I, uh, to me, I'm just being honest, I've said, I, don't, I just don't think it's that big a deal. I'm like, I, I look at it, and I'm just like, I don't know. Uh, uh, you know, I, maybe it's just people are just making too big of a deal about this. And they looked at me, and they said, Jonathan, I love you, and you're wrong. <laughs> and we just sat there, and we had a great conversation because I brought my white perspective in. Can I just say, I'm a man, and I don't have the perspective of being a woman. Um, but I, as much as I can from Scripture, I'd like to debunk some things that um, I think there's, there's, there's some churches um, in society that would take a few of the restrictive verses and take the pendulum and go over here and say um, women should never and should always and blah, blah, blah over here. And then there's, there's some churches that are just kind of like, well, we're just going to not really talk about those restrictive verses. And then they kind of just do their own thing without much research and without much uh, um, like stewarding the Bible correctly. And so then there's this big kind of question mark, unknown thing that flies under the surface, under the radar. Like everyone's like, what do we believe about that? I don't know. Just don't talk about it. And then there's, and then there's others that, that are just totally um, empowering of, of women and, and, and have stewarded this correctly. I'd like for us to um, slowly but surely become an environment that stewards God's word correctly and errs on the side of empowering our, our uh, women, our children, um, our, our young girls, and I'm not just saying this because I got three uh, young girls, but I do. I want them to grow up feeling like, like, man, I can do anything. 
um, within the bounds of Scripture. Does that sound okay to you? All right, you ready? Okay, here we go. First Corinthians chapter 11. Um, uh, starting in verse 2, we're starting in verse 2 because the, first, the, the, the verse 1 um, actually, um, uh, most people would say that it was kind of a continuing thought from, from chapter 10. Paul basically said, follow me as I follow the example of Christ. You can kind of go either way here. Um, he's, he's saying, hey, I think, I, I think I'm, I'm doing a pretty good job of following Jesus, and so just follow me. Follow my lead here. Um, and we start in verse 2. And he, he talks to the, to the church in Corinth, and he says, I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the traditions just as I pass them on to you. And when Paul's talking about um, these traditions passed on, there were law, there was law that was passed on, biblical law, and then there were traditions, um, you know, and, and every church would have them. But there were traditions um, that started in the early church that he says, and I, and I passed those on, and, and you guys are doing a decent job um, walking out even the traditions that were passed on to you. Uh, verse 3, but I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. And so we'll just stop there for a moment. And that's, uh, uh, this would be one of the seemingly restrictive verses. What's this, what's this talking about? Um, uh, when we talk about the topic of authority, uh, who just loves the word um, in our English language, um, submission? Anybody? Like, you're like, that's a good word. That's a good word. I think I'm going to get a tattoo of it, like right across, you know. Wait, tattoo? That's a whole other subject, right? But the, the, word, the word submission, though, right? That's a, uh, it's a word that, that, that carries a lot of baggage with it. When we hear authority, we hear submission, all of our experience of what that means in life starts to come to the surface, and we realize, whether you're a man or a woman, but oftentimes in Scripture, when we talk about the word submission, there's, there's these Scriptures that come to mind, like, you know, woman submit and all of this. And, and uh, usually what you find is a very unbiblical man um, that um, all of a sudden becomes really biblical because he knows like three verses in the Bible that talk about how the woman is supposed to do something. And he comes to the pastor and is like, isn't the Bible supposed to say this? I'm like, well, you know, but uh, maybe you should follow the rest of the Bible as well. Maybe you should like, you know, get saved. And um, there, there's, okay, and I digress. <laughs> but uh, we look at the Apostle Paul here, and first of all, you got to understand, um, he's, Probably when it comes to this topic of, of uh, women, he is probably the most misunderstood apostle out of all of them. Um, and and it's, a, it's a really interesting thing. When you look at their culture, he was probably one of the most empowering of women. In that day, to, to be a woman, you were um, at the very least um, second-class citizen. And at the very most, you were thought of as property uh, as something that could be owned. It would be like in our culture, the best thing to, to remember would be like our, the civil rights um, movement um, and maybe even farther back when, uh, when uh, people were actually owned as slaves in our country. Like it was like that. So when we read some of these scriptures, when Paul's saying some things here in a few minutes when he talks about women prophesying in church, that was countercultural. That was actually empowering. And we read this now, and we're like, and she's supposed to have a head covering on. Uh, we're like, Paul, what are you talking about? We'll get there in just a second. The head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ um, is God. First, one thing to understand is that word head in the original language, it can be translated either source 
or authority. Sometimes it's interchangeable. And so you, you read that, and in one, it can be re, uh, read that the, that the source of every man is Christ. That would be, that could, that could be understood. Um, the source of the woman is man. Um, how many know that, that woman came from Adam? right? That when we trace it back to the original design, that that would be the original source. And, and the source of Christ is, is God. It, it also wouldn't be a far-fetched idea here um, in the whole idea of, of marriage and husband and wife and all of this for us to, to read this and say that the authority of every man is Christ. And the authority of the woman is man, and the authority of, of head is, uh, of, uh, the, uh, I'm sorry, and the authority of Christ is God. Um, and when we read this, some of you are saying, well, wait a minute. The authority of, of a woman is man? And this is where you have to understand the whole of Scripture. The Bible is not saying that uh, every man is the authority of every woman. Wouldn't that just be a poor translation of Scripture, a poor interpretation of Scripture? The authority, K, of every woman is every man. Yeah, okay, she's like, she, I knew she had something to say to me, all right? Come on, preacher. The authority of every, of every woman is, uh, is, uh, is man. The, more accurately, in fact, there, there are a few biblical translations that say woman. There's a few other translations that say wife. And the, the, the hard part about understanding the original language of Greek here, uh, everyone say we're going to get smarter. The hard part of understanding this is that the same word for woman in Greek is the exact same woman for wife. The same word for man in Greek is the exact same word for husband. And so you, the, in order to understand those words, you have to read it in context. And so right here when we talk about this, it's probably more accurate to say that the, that the head of the wife is the husband. And and I don't know where you're at, but I would say that's a, that's a pretty accurate biblical depiction. When, and, and when you read other places in Scripture, when it talks about husbands and wives. And, and now we, and when we read a little bit later, we're going to start thinking, well, wait a minute. What about single women? What about single men? And all of this, we're really start narrowing this down to the home of husband and wife. And the thing is, is that um, God... Uh, he, he gives a supernatural giftness, and you can read this in, in other places in Scripture, of being single. And he, and he gives that supernatural gift um, f- even temporarily for those that are in a season of singleness. And in that place where the man and the woman actually come together and, and have a full picture of, of who God is and his attributes, in that, in that um, season or even lifelong calling of singleness, God does that supernaturally for that person. And so if you're single for whatever reason, whatever season of life you're in, if you're single, I want you to know that you are not a second-class citizen. That even if it's a temporary season, that God supernaturally gives you um, uh, that, that part of him that would that absolutely completes you um, in the Lord. Um, and so the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man. And, and, and I'd like to, to submit to you that he's talking about wife and husband. And, and the head of Christ is God. Interesting thing when we look at this verse is he, he parallels it with the authority of God over Christ and Christ over man. And how, how many of you know that God absolutely, without holding back, empowered his son on this earth? 
Oh, I mean, you look at the way Jesus lived and the supernatural abilities that he walked in and, and the, all of the things that he accomplished in turning the world upside down. God absolutely empowered supernaturally Jesus to walk in all that. How many know that Jesus supernaturally empowers his bride? The Bible calls the, the church the bride. Supernaturally empowers us. In fact, Ephesians says that, that God raised Jesus up. In fact, God raised him up higher than himself, raised Jesus up higher than every name and title and authority and all of that stuff, every dominion. And then, and then what, did, what did Jesus do? Then he raised us up to be seated with him, co-reigning with him in heavenly realms. There's this picture as we look at this parallel um, thought of authority, even right here, that the idea is that a good godly man and uh, and a good godly husband is going to look, how can I raise her up to co-reign, to to even be higher, just like God uh, did that with Jesus and Jesus did that with us. Man, it's an incredible thing. In fact, Jesus or or Paul, um, Paul, Jesus through Paul, said, husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church. And did what? Laid himself down for her. I'll tell you what, it's super hard for some women to follow some men. Why? And, when I, and let me just make it more specific, more specific. Some wives to follow some husbands. Why? Because the husband has not gotten that part right to lay himself down as Jesus laid himself down. We, we take the word authority and submission and say, okay, it's mine. I, I, was, I haven't always been perfect. <laughs> I, I remember, I've told this story before, but in, uh, in premarital counseling with, uh, with my uncle Rick was the one that was, was our pastor during that time. I, I remember getting to some point in our premarital counseling and I just said, I, said, I just got to know. So, um, when is the moment, when's the time when I get to just, as the husband, or when I get to just lay my foot down? I, I needed to know. When do I get to flex my muscles a little bit? Like, is there ever the time? Because I am the husband. And, and uh, I didn't quite say it like that, but for dramatic effect. And, and the, thing, the thing is, is like, I don't know, there's probably some, some, uh, misperceptions growing up. There's probably some, uh, some foundations of my life where I, you know, I, I don't know where it came from. But there was this thought that I've got, I need to know when's it appropriate for me to just, uh. And the, 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 uh, the advice that came back to me was, well, you can do that, but let me know how it works out for you. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> Verse 4. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. When we, we read that, as we just talked about before, his head would, would, be, would be Christ. We would interpret that as Christ. And so here, every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors, dishonors his head, dishonors Christ. And so there's a few different thoughts about what this verse is talking about. Is it a head covering or is it talking about long hair, uh, uh, theologians debate? But either way, what was probably happening is that in that culture— the head covering or the long hair would have represented likely homosexuality. Uh, some, some pagan thing in the world, um, even if it wasn't that. 
And so, the, so for the, the man to stand up and to be prophesying publicly from a place of leadership and to have his head covered or to have the long hair, um, it would be hard for people to receive what he was saying because he looked just like the world. We move on. And then first, verse 5, but every woman who prays or prophesies, notice who prays or prophesies, out loud, we're talking about in a, in a public church setting, Every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, which in, in this, I'm, I'm saying that this is the, the husband. Um, and again, would you allow me to just have uh, my own interpretation and I give you the, the, the right to wrestle that yourself? Um, I've only studied this for 25 hours this week, but <laughs> just joking. No, uh, no, no, uh, more like you know, 20, but. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, I would say her husband. It is the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. And uh, again, I reiterate the fact that I really wanted to skip this whole section What's, it, what's he, he saying here? In that culture, for a woman to have her head shaved or for a woman to, to have her, um, her head uncovered, she would have been uh, looked at and thought of ex- like a prostitute. She, it, it would, that's what they did. That's what the temple prostitutes looked like. That's what uh, the prostitutes in the city looked like. And so imagine somebody, and imagine a guest walking in, and the woman is up prophesying publicly from a place of leadership, and they look and they're like, they let prostitutes prophesy in here? That's the thought. When we don't understand the cultural context, man, we all all of a sudden we go into some weird places. Paul's addressing this, because I noticed that that, uh, uh, we've got women in here that are doing a few different things with their heads. Some of you are biblical and some of you are unbiblical, according to this. And we have to understand, this is, this is what, what Paul's saying. He's like, man, we've got to understand that there was something going on that if the man did it this way, it would, it would be a stumbling block in the, in the worship service. And if the woman did it this way, it would be a stumbling block in the worship service. Amen to myself. Verse 7. A man ought to ought to not cover his head since he is the image and glory of God and the woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman came, uh, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. And this is another one of the, those thoughts of um, head meaning source. That, that woman in the, in the original, in the book of Genesis, came from literally from, from man. And uh, how many know that women didn't come from the foot of man, nor did woman come from the hand of man, but woman came from the, uh, the rib of man, from the side. There was original design in this whole thing where God, uh, in fact, the original design was that man and woman would co-reign together. And the fall, the curse, was, uh, was where things got, got out, of, out of hand. I didn't do... Um, that was not intentional, whatever. That snap motion. Sorry. 
Verse 10, it is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over over her own head because of the angels. This is a really hard scripture here. Um, the authority over her head, it, probab- it, it, it could be a, a physically talking about the head covering. It likely means um, husband, as we were just talking about. Um, but then because of the angels, and um, they, they were really comfortable with angelic activity in the early church. I mean, to, to give you an example, Peter is in prison. He gets supernaturally broke out of prison, and he shows up at the, at the house, and someone answers the door and says, oh, um, I, thought it, I thought this was Peter's angel. Like, their first thought wasn't, oh, Peter must have escaped prison. Their first thought was, this is Peter's angel. And, and so uh, the, angelic activity was, a, was, was commonplace here. And so um, even in this teaching, it was this idea that, um, that somehow this place of, of the woman uh, covering her head, that it actually would, would um, that the angels would see that and respond. Now, I believe this. I believe that angels um, are quite active in answering our prayers. Quite, uh, uh, part of the way God um, delivers his thoughts and, uh, and his ideas, part of the way God delivers supernatural um, things like healing and all kinds of things and provision, I believe he's got all of these angels, and the Bible would be pretty clear about this, that kind of do his bidding. And I think that, I believe that there are angels right now in this room, and that we are, that we are worshiping um, heaven um, right alongside of angels in this house right now. And and in this context, he's saying that there are angels that are watching, and something hindered angelic activity if, in this case, if the woman didn't have her head covered. I don't understand it all. Most theologians don't understand it all. But it's, it's there, so it's, it's good to just look at. I think the most important thing to look at is that there was angelic activity, and we could come into agreement with angels even by our conduct. Is that interesting to you? I think that was interesting. Interesting to me. Uh, nevertheless, verse 11, in the, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. Again, we come back to this place where Paul's qualifying this whole thing. And he says, he says there's actually um, a place of equality here. In fact, um, uh, let me just go, go real quick to Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. Um, and I'm, I know I'm having you skip, a, skip ahead, um, Josh. It says this, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Who wrote that? The Apostle Paul, who also wrote the book of 1 Corinthians. He, uh, there's some of these things where we have to realize, wait a minute, Paul also said this. And, and he said that there's a seemingly restrictive area, and we have, to, we have to bring it into context of really the heart of the Apostle Paul. And I'll tell you this, he he is so misunderstood, but he was incredibly empowering of women. Equal value, and ultimately, God is the source. Verse 13, he says, judge for yourself. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him, but if a woman has long hair, it is her glory? And again, his thought is the very nature of things. It's like he just knew in that culture, like they're going to understand what he's talking about. Like no duh, in our church, we would say, what are you talking about? In their church, it, it was, it, this made sense as he was writing it. 
for long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor did the churches of God. In other words, he's like, all of the churches, all of these, these early churches that have been planted all over this area, they all do the same thing. What should make you guys any different? We're all doing this. That's what Paul was saying. Now, can I go to an even more restrictive place? Everyone say, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're in the same book. We're just going to jump to chapter 14. And uh, right towards the end, in context, he's, he's talking here about um, order in the worship service. He just gets done uh, a few chapters earlier. He's talking about spiritual gifts. He's talking about prophecy and tongues. He's talking about oh, this is the way we should do it to keep order in, in the worship service. And then he kind of finishes up here um, and he says, Women should remain silent in churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husband at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Or did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it has reached? If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge what I'm writing to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, they will themselves be ignored. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. I like there in verse 39. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. So there's some interesting things. We, we, we go back to chapter 11, and Paul is empowering women to, to pray and prophesy publicly from a leadership position, and we come a few chapters later to chapter 14, and Paul is somehow seemingly saying, women need to be silent in church. Uh, how many think we should adopt that practice? Probably not, right? I guess some women are like, hee. Yeah, no. And, and what's he trying to accomplish here? Well, let me just, just really quickly just say that we don't have enough time to dive into all of this stuff, but what we, we do have enough time to just say, this is what I, after I have prayed and researched and read commentaries and books, this is where I come. First of all, do you guys remember when we started this section in Corinthians, um, this last half, this is a question and answer time between Paul and the church. The first half of the book was him rebuking the church for a bunch of wrong things and sin. The second half, they're asking questions and he's answering. The hard part is, and all the theologians agree about this, we don't know when Paul is, is addressing a direct quote and when this is actually Paul's idea. And so we, a lot of people would say this, and this is where I would land, is that, is that the fir- these, these first two thoughts were a direct quote from the men, where they said the men were, were writing in to Paul, Paul, address this. The man says, women should remain silent in churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it's disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. I, I, tend, to, I tend to lean that way, and this is the why I lean that way, that this came from the men. Um, first of all, it makes sense. <laughs> no, uh, this, is why, this is why I lean that way. Uh, uh, that wasn't in the law. It says, as the law says. It, it was, the law didn't say that. And the Apostle Paul, he was, he was formerly a Pharisee. Do you guys understand Pharisees? Like Pharisees knew the law. He was part of the Sanhedrin where it was the governing uh, officials of Judaism. And he would have known the law backwards and forwards. And so Paul wouldn't have said it's in the law if it wasn't 
if it wasn't in the law. I, I think it was kind of like when, when you grew up and, and your mom or your dad said something was in the Bible, like, uh, I don't know, uh, give, me, give me something, like, uh, God helps those who helps themselves. And you're like, oh, that, that sounds like good scripture, except it's not in the Bible. There's nowhere, nowhere to be found. I think somewhere along the line, uh, these, these guys had it in their head. Well, this is what, this is what the law says, you know, in, in, their, in their culture. And they wrote it into Paul. Doesn't the law say blah, blah, blah? And then Paul responds like this. Or did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it has reached? If anyone thinks they're a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I'm writing to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, they will themselves be ignored. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy, brothers and sisters, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. And, and so we see a few chapters before in chapter 11, Paul empowering women to prophesy publicly from even from a leadership position. A few chapters later, it sounds like he's saying, but be silent, like there's this this weird thing going on in Paul's mind. And one of the best explanations I can find is that this was a direct quote from the men and he was responding by that. But even if it wasn't, can we just by process of elimination look at this and say, Paul couldn't have been meaning, Paul wasn't like, like schizophrenic here. He wasn't going back and forth. There had to have been something else. And when I look at this, I say there has to be something else. Another possibility is he could have been addressing some specific disruptive women. There was some people believe in that culture. um, And I don't know how how verified it is, but some people believe that that women sat on one side of the church and men sat on the other. And and so when, when the women didn't understand something, they would maybe even shout across or get up out of their seat and go to their husband. And the preacher's up here preaching and there's all this commotion. And, and they're like, hey, can we wait till you get home to like talk about that stuff? Women, just be silent in church and talk about this with your husbands. The only problem with that is not everybody had a husband. So what do you do if, you're, if you were the single woman? And I feel like the best explanation is that. I want to just say this is that Men and women are equally powerful and yet distinctly different. I, um, I have so much more in my heart to say, even so much more in my notes. Um, but I want you to know, like, Jesus was one of the most countercultural people that ever walked the planet. He was one of the most empowering of women. He, you know that it was illegal in Judaism for, um, for women to be taught by men? And how often do we see women sitting at the feet of Jesus learning? I mean, Jesus absolutely empowered women. Do you guys remember Mary and Martha and, and, and um, Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus? Um, how many places in Scripture uh, are women mentioned in the story and, and we read by it because we're like, oh, well, that's just part of it. Do you know for a woman to be mentioned in a story in, in Bible in that culture it would be like it would be like the Afghan culture um, of of not too long ago, or be like one of those places where. Or what about in our civil rights movement, or or in um, back in slavery, someone would would write a letter and they would even just mention an African American, and uh, and uh, maybe they'd write something about, hey, we went to the movies and there was, and we went with you know so and so that was an African American. Like, w- would they be would the person that received the letter be thinking about the movie, or that they went with an African American? That's what they would be thinking about. And so some of these stories where it mentions, like, what about the feeding of the 5,000? 
And it says, and, and, and they fed 5,000 men, not including what? Women and children. Like they intentionally put that in the story so that we knew that there were women and children there. Jesus was absolutely countercultural. There were, uh, women were, were mentioned in the Old Testament. Deborah was a prophet. She was the, the highest spiritual and political leader in the land at that time. Was was Deborah? She was a prophet. There, there were, um, uh, or I mean, she was a judge. Uh, there were prophetesses. Uh, um, Anna in the New Testament was a prophetess. Uh, anybody know when Paul wrote Ephesians that he he wrote in Ephesians four about the fivefold ministry? Fivefold ministry being pastor, teacher, evangelist, um, uh, prophet, uh, apostle, and uh, and that would be God's governmenting governmental structure for for governing His kingdom and the church. Um, when you read it a little bit later in 1 Corinthians, you find that there was kind of like, like rank. It wasn't, uh, not, in like a, not in like a weird way, but just in kind of a, uh, Danny Silk puts it, like this funnel from heaven. Like, uh, you know, where, where it's the apostle, prophet, and, and you go down and, and, and releasing the thoughts and ideas of heaven into the environment. Guess who's like second rank in that idea? The prophet's. And, and when a woman is mentioned as a prophetess, that is, that is absolutely a, a five-fold governmental role that God is saying, she's not just one who prophesies, she is one who holds the office of a prophet. And you can't ignore that in Scripture. It, it absolutely is there. there um, I think the lady's name was Junus in Scripture. She, she was, a, she was a, an apostle. Um, there, were, there were people that, that pastored. There were people that were evangelists. In fact, I think it's Philip's... Uh, um, I, I want to say it was, it, maybe it was Philip's daughters were evangelists. Like, you can't just ignore these places. You, you could wrestle with them and not know what to think of them, but you can't ignore them. And I'm just saying to you, this church is going to be one that empowers uh, women from young age all the way up to however old you are because, uh, because Jesus did. Because I believe the Apostle Paul did. And why do we talk about that? Why do we zero in on this? Why couldn't we just skip over this? Because I believe as we are heading into times of revival, as we're heading into times of, of, of where the Lord's going to use you and me for global revival and people coming to know the Lord, that women um, are a huge part of that and have to take their rightful place. And it's time for men to say, hey, I'm going to stop being insecure about this thing. And, and we're going we're gonna to allow um, wives, we're going to allow um, uh, other people in the church, other people in the community to, um, to step into places, even though it kind of, uh, you know, might, there might be a tinge of, of uh, insecurity, like, oh, I don't know about this. Uh, man, that's going to be one of the keys, I believe, of worldwide revival. How's that? We're going to get a, like a, any type of a, like a, even a slow clap or a, just joking. Hey, let's, um, let's stand up this morning as the worship team comes. You know, I, um, not only, not only women, um, but men, uh, I think at times, for whatever reason, the enemy has wanted to silence people. The enemy has wanted to make people feel less than. And I want you to feel, no matter, no matter if you're a man or a woman, a, a child or an adult, I want you to feel fully empowered to, to be everything that God's called you to be. And so you may, you may be standing in this room and you say, Pastor Jonathan, like I've, I, haven't, I, I just know I haven't fully operated in the things that God's called me to be, be and do. 
I know that there's, there's calling. I know that there's dreams. And for whatever reason, I've been living below that. It may be because you have felt oppressed. Maybe you have felt like there's, there hasn't been a place for you. Maybe you felt like whatever society has said or in your home or in this church. And I just want us to just come before the Lord and say, Lord, regardless of all of that, I'm, I, I'm ready. I'm ready for you to just uh, give me my assignment. I'm ready to step into my calling. Lord, all over this place. Lord, if, if any of us as men have knowingly or unknowingly um, oppressed women, whether it be this church or in this society, Lord, we just repent before you right now. And I just feel that right now. If, if you're one, especially if you're a man, um, maybe you're a woman that's kind of just bought into that, but if you're a Especially if you're a man, if you would just, if the Lord's bringing back to you thoughts and ideas, and you're just like, man, I've been part of the problem, would you just lay that before the Lord right now and just ask the Lord to, to forgive you? Whether knowingly or unknowingly, you've just uh, not given place for women to just be that powerful person in the kingdom of God. Jesus, right now. Jesus, right now. Lord, we thank you that there, um, there are mothers that are being fully empowered right now in this room to be the, the best mom and embracing that calling as a calling and not a second-class thing. Lord, there are women that, are, that have dreams of, of doing things within the, the, the walls of the church or in society, and they just haven't stepped into that. And Lord, I just thank you that you're empowering them to do those things even right now. Lord, where there's been pain and hurt because of the church, Lord, right now, especially in the hearts of women in this building, Lord, would you go to those places? Lord, I thank you that you're bringing forgiveness. You're bringing healing. Wow. I see kind of um, like like a lock on some people's hearts, and the Lord's bringing a key. It's kind of like this old, uh, like, skeleton key, and he's just unlocking hearts right now in Jesus' name all over this house. Just an, an unlocking a, a new level of freedom. Just sense a, a, a new calling, a new anointing for men to step into that is that part of that calling is the empowerment of, of women and girls, being the protector. Jesus. Jesus. Jesus.